from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it's Friday night. Time to let the hair down, and if you want to give us a call, feel free to do so. Our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. And uh, the big talk of today is Nancy Pelosi, 83 years old. She is running for re-election. Now, you would think, well, what's so big about that? She's been doing that since the 80s, running for office. Yep, you're right. However, 70-some-odd percent of Americans think Joe Biden's too old to be in government office. What, where are those people in San Francisco? Why are they not saying Nancy Pelosi? She's three years older than Biden or two years older than Biden. Uh, I don't understand the double standard here. Is it because she's a woman? Are they letting her get away with it because she's a woman? Uh, I don't know. But apparently people are concerned about Biden's age. She's three years older than Biden and she's getting a pass. Nobody's saying, Nancy, you're too old to serve. I don't know. Sounds crazy to me. Uh, the fact that Nancy Pelosi can get reelected time and again is also crazy to me. What has Nancy Pelosi done other than, you know, tear up a copy of the State of the Union speech <laughs> and make a lot of incendiary comments and create the January 6th commission and all these other things that really, I think, provided little to no benefit for the American people, but definitely um, hurt our political pr process, right? Um the impeachments that she oversaw. I mean, this was just hurtful to America, not because I like Trump, but because, like he said, it was a perfect call, perfect. And, and the reality is that she was politicizing and weaponizing her office and her political power just to amass more political power. Now, some might argue and say, no, 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 because the reality here is that's what all politicians do, and, and that would be true to some degree. But overall... I think Nancy Pelosi is famous for what, right? You, you have to read the bill to see what's in the bill. You got to pass the bill in order to read it. I mean, come on. She's got nothing to stand on, yet she's going to come up with a record and just a, a bunch of bills that she pushed and her service as speaker and blah, yada, yada, yada. And she'll probably get reelected. I hope she won't. And whoever's running against her, I'm looking to have you on the show and help you as much as I can because that's got to change. And there's a bunch of stuff we're going to get into tonight. I want to talk about uh, a number of things. We're going to get into a conversation on what's happening in 2024. We're going to have a presidential candidate joining us uh, in, in a little bit, just about uh, seven, eight minutes from now. Uh, we're also going to talk about what's the best way to navigate your career when you're working in corporate America. And a lot of people always wonder, what would it be like if I could have an executive from one of these big companies, you know, give us the inside scoop. I'd love to know what's in their minds. You know, somebody who worked at Nike or Google or one of these big companies. Well, I got one for you. And he's going to join us in a little bit as well to give us the scoop on, you know, what employers are looking for and how to navigate that career and how to pick the best job for yourself. And uh, we're going to continue uh, those conversations and we're going to add more topics. Uh, there's a film producer that's going to join us uh, after that. And he's got a new movie called Trafficked. 
and uh, you can already tell what the movie Trafficked is about, and we'll talk about that as well. But I want to talk about what's going on with uh, these legal cases. A federal appeals court today says that the government likely violated the First Amendment of the United States Constitution when they tried to censor what they called a vaccine misinformation campaign. Now, the they I'm talking about is the social media companies. But this they becomes convoluted. If you've been paying attention over the last several months, when Elon Musk bought Twitter, it was revealed that the they is not that separate, right? So when I say they, the social media companies, we found out that the social media companies had lawyers that had come from the FBI and that were in concert working in lockstep with the federal government. The White House was calling the shots on a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, that's uh, it sounds right to me that the government likely violated the First Amendment with uh, respect to what they're calling vaccine misinformation, especially when we um, we've had uh, guests in the past come on and talk about these mysterious deaths. They're not really a mystery. I think everybody knows well that there were a, a high number of people that their bodies took exception to something in those vaccines. And they didn't make it. And they were otherwise young, healthy people. And that was the argument all along was why are we pushing vaccines on 16-year-olds, on 30-year-olds, on anybody that's not really at risk? If they didn't have a a compromised immune system, what was the purpose? Now, of course, many are going to argue the purpose was Big Pharma wanted to sell more vaccines to the federal government. The government wanted to put them out there. And, of course, there's others that theorize other types of conspiracies and say that, you know, it was a mass kill-off. They wanted to reduce the population, whatever it is. I, I'm not saying that's not the case. I just I can't prove that's the case. But what I am saying is it never made sense to me that somebody that is, you know, 35 years old, 40 years old, and in, in fair health, They shouldn't have gotten the vaccine. And there were a number of doctors out there banging the pots and pans saying exactly that. This is not necessary. This is necessary for somebody in their 60s, somebody that's overweight. If you're 39 years old and you weigh 270 pounds, yes, take the vaccine. Because if you got COVID, you were likely to die from it. All of those things matter. But if you're 16 years old and and again, and you're um, overweight, you probably want to take it. But if you're 16 years old and you're not overweight and you're an athlete, why on earth would you take it? If you're 30 years old and you, you, you finished school a few years ago and your brand new job is a pilot and you're perfectly healthy and all of a sudden they're telling you, no, 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 you should take the vaccine. And this happened to somebody I know personally. And then this kid couldn't fly. He was 26. He still is 26. He lived, but he got myocarditis. And this happens all the time. I know a woman in her 30s took the vaccine, got the facial paralysis, Bell's palsy. Thankfully, it went away, but she says that every now and again, it comes back and it twitches. This is two years after the fact. A a young, healthy person didn't need this thing. So clearly, you know, the the benefit has to outweigh the risk. The moment that something, all, all, all medicines have side effects. So you have to outweigh the risk and say, okay, you could take this and get sick, or if you don't take it, you can die. That wasn't the case for everybody. And that's what happened. But anyway, this... U.S. Appeals Court on Friday, uh, which is today, and this is according to TheHill.com, they ruled that several government entities, including the White House, the FBI, the Surgeon General, and the Centers for Disease Control, likely violated the First Amendment. Yep, by pressuring social media companies to moderate their content on misinformation surrounding vaccines. And again, who's the judge of misinformation when you're talking about opinion on something that could be backed up by 
conflicting medical reports. This decision uh, was from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, saying government actors likely coerced or encouraged social media companies to moderate their content, affirming a decision by a lower court with respect to the White House, the FBI, the CDC, and the Surgeon General. There you go. Joe El Baboso Biden and all his friends were out there lying and pressuring the social media companies to censor your speech. The three judges issued the decision uh, were all uh, appointed by Republicans is what they want to add here. So um, take that for what it's worth. Um, I think I was saying that two and a half years ago. But anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit more in Open Phone America. That's coming up at the top of hour number three. Again, the phone number for that, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. And we're going to talk about 2024. What's going on in 24? There's a number of candidates out there. One of those candidates is Perry Johnson. He's a Republican candidate for president. And he's with us now. Perry Johnson, welcome to the program. Well, I'm delighted to be here. You bet. Now, we typically do a long form interview. And uh, this way, our five million best friends that are listening right now can get to know you better. So we're going to try and cram as much as we can in, uh, being that you're tight on time. Let's uh, start off with, um, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a guy that grew up in a middle-class family. My dad was a pilot in World War II. My mom was a nurse in the Army Wax, and they met at a New Year's Eve party, which was the biggest break of my life. And they loved this country. And from the beginning of time, they told me that in America, anybody can do whatever they want as long as they put their mind to it, because in America, it's the land of opportunity. And I believe that. And although we didn't have much money growing up, I probably had one of the greatest childhoods on the planet. My parents didn't have the money to send me to college, but I worked in the steel mill and I got through that. And eventually I got a job in the auto industry with Borg Warner. That was at a time in the 1980s. The auto industry was struggling. It was much like a time we have today. The oil prices were very high. We had high inflation. We had high interest rates. And that back then, the Japanese would come in with tremendous quality. They were killing us, and they were taking market share. And I thought I knew how to solve the problem. My background was mathematics. And so I went into the auto industry mm-hmm. and started my first company. At that time, I introduced statistical methods in the auto industry, and we started at the beginning of the process to iron out variation. And in about four or five years, we had the best quality in the world. And then I said, well, why not quality as a way of life? And I wrote a book, ISO 9000, The Quality Standard, and it took off like hotcakes. And now 
Perry Johnson Registrars and Perry Johnson Laboratory Accreditation do business in 61 countries around the world. Wow. And I now live the American dream. I have three wonderful kids. My oldest is in college now, and I have two 14-year-olds. One of them actually is in the drive putt and chip right now <laughs> in Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. and I'm over here. Uh, and I love America, and I think we're in serious trouble because right now we have serious problems, the, mo- the most serious of which is the fact that we have a huge problem with inflation, which is caused by the government. The government has gotten too big, and we are spending ridiculous sums of money to the point where we are now $33 trillion in debt. And most people don't pay much attention to the debt because it doesn't mean much to them. But to give you an idea of what it is, it means that every family in America is spending about $610 a month in interest just on our debt. And the reason it's a problem is that it's roughly eight times what we collected in taxes last year. We collected $3.9 trillion in taxes. So now, obviously, everybody knows they're talking about cutting Social Security, reducing that by seventeen dollars to $24,000 per family. They're talking about cutting Medicare because they can't afford it. They're talking about cutting back on prescription coverage. They're talking about all sorts of things that they have to do when, in reality, the government has caused all of our problems. Let's face it, right now, it's reached the point of absurdity. We're sending $140 billion over to the Ukraine, and there's no accounting for the money. We don't know where it goes. They will not tell us. And we had a bill that was tried to be introduced into the House and the Senate. And, of course, that didn't make it. All we wanted was for them to account where they're going to send the $140 billion. And then we ought to have some sort of purpose. I mean, what's our goal? Are we going to end up? like Afghanistan, going on for an odd infinitum with no real goal? And shouldn't we be getting the Europeans involved, too? After all, they're adjacent the Ukraine. We can certainly get them involved. The government then goes out of its way to make sure we produce less oil, which is why we're spending anywhere from 3 to $5 per gallon of gas instead of $1.75. And let's face it, we hurt the environment when we do that because— Nobody in the world does a better job of extracting and refining oil than the United States. We're the best in the world by far. In fact, we ended up sending $61 billion over to Russia to help fund the war in Ukraine because we bought that oil. And when we did that, we contaminated the earth. Because when they refine the oil or when they even turn it into natural gas, it is so much worse than what we do here. And in fact, when they turn into natural gas, they put five times the amount of methane in the air that we do in the United States. And on the environment, I'm actually an expert on that. I wrote the book on the environmental standard, the ISO 14,000. So we do some of the craziest things on the planet. We end up buying our batteries from Japan for these electric cars. And in Japan, on over half the batteries, they're using coal, which puts so much carbon into the air that you have to drive a vehicle, a combustion engine, for seven years to equal the amount of carbon that went into the air. We need Perry to make Johnson, here. I just want to jump in real quick because we, we're down to a couple of minutes, and I want to make sure you tell the American people that are listening tonight why, why you're running for president and why they should vote for you. Well, I'm running for president because I want this country to start getting on the right track. And I start with the economy. I wrote a book, Two Cents to Save America. 
instead of having the government spend every penny in their budget every year, I say we freeze the budget and we cut two cents out of every dollar of discretionary spending. We incentivize the people to spend less. And right now, everybody in the government is motivated to spend every penny they have so they get more money the next year. And what a ridiculous way to run a country. And bottom line is, I think we have to do something with the wall. We shouldn't have all this immigration, illegal immigration coming in, which is absurd. We finished the wall. We have 20,000 agents out there. Let them use the laws to enforce the border. And I'm a guy that has spent his life bringing quality and efficiency to companies. And I've been doing that for, what, 50 to 100,000 companies around the world. And now I want to do that for this country. And I think it's about time that we have a CEO of a country. And I love this country more than life itself. Now, I'm on a campaign right now because in Michigan, we have these electors that are being charged for crimes. Mm -hmm. And they had no idea what they were doing. And they have no way to defend themselves. And so I launched a campaign and I've launched a pack, and I'm putting up a matching one seven-figure number to match the donations because I want these people to have a chance to defend themselves because I think we have to stop this weaponization of our legal system. And it's just not fair to these poor people. I talked to one lady. She was crying. She's 78 years old, lives on Social Security. She has no possible way of defending herself, and she's facing 40 years in jail. It's terrible. Now, Perry Johnson, if people want to help your campaign, get involved, learn more about you, where do you send them? Go to perryjohnson.com. And if you want to find out, I have a reality series on running for president. Go to perryjohnson.com slash backstage, and you can learn all about what's happening. Because it's an amazing thing. When you run for president, it's unlike anything on the planet. (laughs) You can't even imagine it. And so I'm hoping to be on this debate stage coming up in California. I had qualified for the last one, but uh, at 11.10 on Monday, they decided they were going to not count one of the polls. So I ended up not getting on the debate stage. I'm hoping this time I do. Well, we're looking forward to that, sir. You sound like a really interesting individual, and I'd love to learn more about you. Folks, that's Perry Johnson. Check him out at perryjohnson.com. Perry Johnson, thanks for staying up late with us. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Enjoy life. All right. Take care. Folks, we're coming right back. More to come straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. mother-in-law and the kids they all love love richie v because he's a great guy and people are going to learn to love him too america at night with rich valdez 
All right, America, welcome back. And uh, that was Perry Johnson. He wasn't able to stay with us for the entirety of uh, of what we were hoping he would stay with us. And a lot of questions still remain about Perry Johnson. But he seems like a really interesting guy, a very kind man, and uh, a very interesting guy. I'd love to, to pick his brain a little bit. And um, he's younger than Trump. He's younger than Biden. And he's younger than Pelosi. However, there are still questions circling around how old is too old? And uh, again, like I said, I think 72% of Americans say that Biden is too old. But his team is out there. You've got his uh, campaign advisor, Cedric Richmond. Uh, he's out there saying, no, 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 he's not frail. Biden's frailty is not a thing. He's traveling 30% more than they are. You know, he's actually president. Listen to this. Now, about the president's age, you're going to, voters will see his vigor. Voters will see his accomplishments if you just look at uh, his schedule, he's traveling around the world over the next four and a half days to continue to show American leadership on the world stage. So when they compare President Biden's travel to that of uh, Republicans, even Republicans that are running for president, he's traveling almost 30 percent more than they are. But more importantly, uh, this is about American families. And I think American families are going to look at the issues they face and they're going to look at who's addressing those issues, who's talking about those issues, and who's doing something about it. And that's going to be President Biden. Now, Cedric Richmond wasn't done there. He's saying that, you know, who can make a difference on the issues? Let's talk about that for a moment, right? Let's talk about how he's doing on the issues. And I think we talk about it every day. And it, it comes to mind. I was um, scrolling through Instagram. You know, I like to scroll through Instagram. There's always some funny videos on there. And you know, years ago, again, not that many, about five years ago, when I uh, started in radio, uh, I was at a studio 17 floors above Madison Square Garden in New York City, uh, the world-famous WABC in New York. Today we're on in New York on WFAS, but back then I was on WABC. And one of my colleagues there, um, because it was owned by Cumulus Media, the, uh, a different station, that had a, um, a different format. And there was a comedian, very funny guy, very, very nice guy, really nice guy. His name is D.L. Hewley. He's a comedian and, and, a, and an excellent radio broadcaster. And he, um, he was doing his show, and we bumped into each other in the newsroom. And, you know, we were making small talk. He's a very nice guy. And um, had some conversations. It never got political. And uh, I saw a video of him today at doing his show, and he was saying, you know, what do the Republicans have to run on? What, how, name one issue where Republicans are doing something that would benefit the American people. And, and I thought to myself, I, I can name six <laughs> very easily, very quickly. But the video was like a, making fun of that comment that he made. And, and there was a, a young Indian guy that uh, just started rattling off things like immigration, the economy, uh, inflation, uh, the disastrous pullout from the, the war in Afghanistan, uh, the, the current disastrous situation with our support that's not really support, like pseudo support, just really kind of monetary support for the war in Ukraine and, and, and so many other issues, uh, the, the limitations on, on American energy production, et cetera. You name it, the attack on the family, the attack on police, the attack on children. There's just so many things that are, are unraveling before us. And, and I found that uh, the attack on America through the southern border, probably one of the biggest issues. And I thought to myself, if, you know, if, if some gamer, he was a young guy, you know, one of those 20-somethings that was playing games and stopped to make a video to address that. And I think Cedric Richmond is here saying, you know, Joe Biden's making a difference. How? 
How is Joe Biden making a difference? What has Joe Biden done? What has Nancy Pelosi done? Joe Biden goes around talking about Bidenomics. It's working, right? He whispers and it's all creepy. He's sniffing little children. He's doing all sorts of weird things, putting on a mask, taking off a mask, leaving the veteran, 81-year-old veteran uh, on stage by himself. All sorts of crazy that goes on. Falling asleep in Maui. Yet he's doing something for America? I I just don't see it. But that didn't stop Cedric Richmond. Of course, he continued. He's the campaign chair for Joe Biden. And he was on CNN yesterday. And of course, he says... It's the Republicans that are one-trick ponies. All they want to do is talk about Biden's age. Now, listen, I just rattled off a bunch of things to you, and uh, not the least of which were his age. If Biden was senile, demented, and crushing it on the economy, I would say, hey, we're making money. You know, a lot of people would be on board with Biden. Nobody really cares about his age. They're caring about his age because he's not performing. If he performed, they wouldn't care. But anyway, listen to this. And just like the Republicans are one trick pony talking about the president's uh, age, that's all they talk about. So, of course, the poll numbers uh, show Republicans uh, highly uh, question it. But we have to go out and talk about the accomplishments just as much as they talk about lies and misdirection and red herrings. We have to be solely focused on what not only this president and vice president, but what this Congress has done. Uh, the Democratic Senate and the Democratic House when we had it. And I think that that's going to prove to be a winning formula once again for all Democrats and for President Biden and President Vice President Harris. Listen, he could say what he wants, right? I mean, uh, really, when you hear that, does that sound like somebody that is confident? Does that sound like somebody that is is ready to take on any one of those people, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, El Trumpito, I leave him for last because I think you've really got to have your A-game on to go against Trump. He's funny. He's sharp. He's witty. He's got a track record. I mean, whatever, whether you like him or not, you can try to dismantle his track record, but he really had one. I mean, it's very hard to look somebody in the face and lie to them and say, you're going to tell me you weren't making more money when Trump was around. Right. There might be some people that weren't making more money, but there were more people that had jobs. There were there. The, the country was in a better place. I mean, just it was a better place. More small businesses were opening. There, there was less regulation on businesses. There was more energy production. Gas was cheaper. Inflation was one point four percent or one point two five. I mean, I mean, really, come on. It, it, it's very difficult. So if that's the one trick that Republicans have that you make life better for Americans, sign me up for the one trick pony. Anyway, we're going to continue with uh, more on this discussion about Biden, Biden running, Biden not running, Biden's age and more. Plus your calls. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. 
Now, of course, there are more delusions, right? There's more delusions about Biden and his um, fantastic record. And again, look, I, I will give credit where I think it's due. Uh, I just don't think it's due, right? We, we've talked about this with a number of economists, and all the economists have agreed that we can't cook the books. We can't say we've added a ton of jobs when we're adding part-time jobs. Now, you, you can count the part-time jobs, but you can't you just say you're adding part-time jobs and, and make it clear and don't make it look like something else. Don't uh, adjust the um, CPI number to not include expenses on energy. I mean, the inflation on energy is, is through the roof. And, you know, when you're paying more for everything and you're using more energy and you need energy for everything, right? You can't go to Walmart and get something from the store if it wasn't brought there by a big tractor trailer, right? So th- this is unrealistic. And when we take things apart, you know, I saw a funny meme today. I spent too much time on social media, I think, during the daytime. But I saw a funny one that said, you know, I, I raised it's a picture of Biden. He says, I raised inflation by this much and spending by this much. And I brought it down by the little, little, little teeny bit. And I'm taking credit for it. <laughs> and that's really where we are, uh, lamentably. Anyway, I want to get to your calls. Let's see here. I'll give you the number. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Fort Myers, Florida. WGUF and check in with Greg. Greg, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hello, Rich. How are you tonight? Wonderful. Thank you. Good. I wanted to uh, comment on Perry Johnson. Sure. And the, the discussion you had with him. Now, if we can't get somebody like Trump in there, I don't know why the people on the right like me are not smart enough to see this guy is exactly what we need right now. Clear things up. Get everything back on track. Mm -hmm. No, I I hear you. I think, look, uh, again, I talked to him for, you know, I don't know, eight or nine minutes. And uh, the, the sense I got was that he's a smart guy. He seems to have had a good track record in business. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to learn more. Uh, I'd love to learn more about his, his policy ideas on really the big issues. And he kind of touched on a few of them, but it was minimal. But it's important, right? We, we need to know the, the, the plan he put forward about reducing spending. I think that's great. The, 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 what I want to know is, let's, okay, spending. How do we do it? How do we do that? How, how are you going to build the relationships you need with Congress who is, you know, they're the ones that are going to vote on this. You need that support. So when I look at a situation like this, you know, doing the, the political math, I say, which one of these candidates is likely to be able to get a majority of, of the our party, right, the Republican Party, or whatever party? It doesn't matter. It's not a partisan thing. If you're a Democrat, who can corral and rally the troops to pass your agenda? And I don't know that... Any candidate other than than Trump might be able to pull that off. Maybe DeSantis, because he spent a lot of time in Congress and he might have those relationships. So I think that's a big part of it. If you can't get that uh, that piece done, we don't get anywhere. But uh, I agree with you. I think we need somebody that is a businessman that has good sense about him that can try and help this country go in the right direction. The other day we had Linda McMahon on the show. Uh, the former president of the WWE, she's chair of the America's First Policy Institute. 
And and she was saying something like 89% of all businesses in the United States are small businesses. If that's how people are earning their living, right, through a small business, many of these small businesses include one employee, right? They consist of the owner out there doing what they do. If we don't have a business-minded president, we're screwed because people don't subsist by the government, right? They talk about the top 1%, but there's also a percentage at the bottom that solely lives off the government. And it's not a huge number, but it seems to be growing. And we have to address that because people need to be self-reliant. People need to, to operate in an economy that works for them, where they can do what they want, where there's a legitimate free market. And the market isn't free for the, as Adam Smith put it, the invisible hand to do what it does if the iron fist of government is stifling it. And to me, this is a critical part of how you move the country forward. When you have money flowing, everyone's doing better. Now, that's not the only issue, but it's a huge issue, right? He said something in his interview, Perry Johnson, Greg, he said, people don't pay a lot of attention to the deficit because it's not what they're worried about. And he's right. And it is an important issue in, in our country. But the reality is people aren't paying attention to that because they're out there busy doing what we all do every day. We go to work. We're trying to earn money. We're trying to you know, save money to buy a house, trying to feed our kids, trying to just get by on rent, trying to do whatever we can do. And in a situation like that, we have to help people to earn. And the only way you can have good earnings in your country and actually make some money for, for people to make money is if we are in a good spot. And we can't be in a good spot if we're tied up in, in giving a ton of cash to Ukraine. We have to support Ukraine, but we have to do better. We can't just you know sit here and, and wish for the best. You know what I mean, Greg? Yes, sir. That's true. And I'm with you. I, I would vote for Trump in a heartbeat. I still yeah. have a Trump sign in my yard from for you. four years ago, whatever <laughs> it's been. Um, I also wanted to ask you something real quick. Yeah. If you heard that Bill Gates wants to cut down 70 million acres of trees and bury them. I haven't. I haven't. What I did hear about Bill Gates was that he's um, spending $100 million on Bud Light. <laughs> and, and I thought, that's insanity. Uh, but he just bought uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, their trust, bought 1.7 million shares of Anheuser-Busch for about $95 million. And I can't imagine why, but I'm sure we're going to find out soon enough why he has this new interest in Bud Light. As far as the trees go, I don't know. But when I look at Bill Gates, all I could say is he's like the real epitome of like the American version of Klaus Schwab, you know, like a mad scientist, an evil scientist, just a, a you know, a guy with way too much money. And again, he's allowed to have as much. I want him to have all the money in the world, really. If he earned it, good for him. But the things that he comes up with, these these vaccines and Africa and this and that, and it's like, just stick with the computers, bro. Really, you know, take it easy. So I'll look into the tree thing, Greg, and we'll find out what's going on. And I'll, you know, maybe I'll talk about it if we, if we get to the bottom of what's going on with the trees. But it wouldn't surprise me in the least. There's always more to the story. Anyway, f- folks, we're going to come right back to your calls and more. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 
for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back, and I want to go to um, the phones before we um, go to the top of the hour. Let's go to Jason Dothan, Alabama, WDBT. Jason, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Rich. How you doing tonight? Love it. Good. Show. Thank you. And um, I've been wanting to ask this one question for a while, and nobody seems to address yet about the election and all. If... Uh, now, just say if, if, and I am a Trump man, <laughs> but um, if Trump was to get re get reelected, get back in office, how long would you, w- w- in your best educated hypothesis, guess how long would it take uh, the Brexit consortium to kind of wither? Now, so you're talking about the deal in the UK where they separated from the European Union? No, or are you talking well, about BRICS, the uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China? With Russia and China and oh, BRICS. Saudi okay. Arabia and Brazil yeah, and all Right, that. and South Africa. Okay, yes, this is a good question. I don't know that they will. Uh, I think they're going to continue, but I think what would happen is they would lose a lot of steam, right? And the reason I think that they would lose a lot of steam is because of this with Trump coming back, I think, first of all, and this is not just Trump and I'm not trying to discredit him in any way, but typically Republican presidents getting elected usually rally the markets. Investors love Republican presidents. They know that the policies are coming that are going to be kind of pro economy. And, uh, and we see that and we see the opposite effect with Democrats. They worry wall street. So, and that's just locally. Globally, the same thing happens. So I think BRICS will continue. They've been around for 15 years and they're taking, they're gaining steam now because Trump's not in office, right? So, because Biden's been extraordinarily weak, he's been a horrible leader and it's feeding right into their growth. Now, I think you get somebody like Trump in office, the dollar becomes strengthened. Uh, There may potentially be a a move back to the gold standard or at least conversation about that, which would get people back on board with the dollar. Confidence would be restored. And I think BRICS would have to go back to the drawing board to try and and continue to woo people. Because once you have a president that knows how to use the bully pulpit of the Oval Office, they can just call people and say, hey, listen, hey, uh, South Africa, you still thinking about being on board or hey, so and so, I'll cut you a deal. And you'd rather do business with me than with them, right? And most people would rather do business with the United States. And that's how they lose. So that's my thought on what happens with BRICS. And uh, yeah, it'd be great if they did fall apart. But I think the dollar remains dominant. Jason, thanks for the call. Shout out to WDBT in Alabama. Folks, we're coming right back. More to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. Live. 
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy Friday. Welcome to the program. If you want to join us, we'll be taking calls throughout this hour, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And uh, Disney's lost $218 billion in stock. Isn't that interesting? And we've got layoffs that continue. It's an interesting thing, and it makes you wonder, if you got a job, you might want to focus on keeping your job, right? Um, Makes sense to me. Now, when we look at these things, it's not always that simple, right? Sometimes jobs and careers can become a little bit complicated because people want to quit. People get promoted and then they quit after they get the promotion. And it's like a phenomenon that we're seeing because there's always people that are looking for a bigger, better deal and other reasons that we're going to get into. But I always find it interesting. And it, it makes me wonder. I'm still wondering from like the pandemic time, the um, I forget the name of that, the, like the great quit or whatever, the, the great walk off or something like that, where people are quitting their jobs during the pandemic, like in record number as if there was a ton of money around. I guess there was a ton of money around with the stimulus checks that were going around. And uh, it, it just, it always gave me pause to think, hmm, what is going on? And why are people making the choices and decisions they're making when it comes to their employment? And, and what I'm going to say is an uncertain economy, right? And it, I think, wouldn't it be great if we could talk to, uh, you know, one of the top executives from any number of big companies like uh, Google, Nike, Target, uh, and others, and find out, you know, what, what's the story here? What's going on? Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk with Dr. Andre Martin. Uh, he's the, the founder of Top Executive Coach. Wrong Fit, Right Fit is his book. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to get into this story because it's interesting how some employees are becoming flight risks. And I think a lot of employers are focusing more on retention now because it's very expensive to backfill positions and rehire and retrain and, you know, all the money and, and operations that you lose when people leave. So I want to welcome Dr. Andre Martin, sir. Welcome to the program. Hey, Rich. Good evening. Thanks for having me today. How you doing? You bet. I'm doing great. And I think this great. is a fascinating topic. Uh, I'm looking at the piece in the Wall Street Journal and the headline, Up, Then Out, Why People Quit After Getting a Promotion. And uh, it's an interesting thing to me because um, you would think you get promoted, you're going to stick around, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Why? That's right. Well, promotions are interesting, right? I think the the stat that they cited was about 29% of employees quit their job within a month of their first promotion. And there's a couple of things that happen, right? When you get a promotion, it is a signal from the company that you are seen and you are valued. But there's another truth. It's also a signal that you're marketable. 
And I think in this day and age, what we're seeing is that everyone is optimizing for the quickest, fastest path to career progression. And so once I get that title, I'm more marketable, I can demand more money, and I can look to see if maybe the grass is greener in another company, in another place. And, you know, up until now, it seems like people are willing to to hire pretty quickly um, that recently promoted talent. Well, it's interesting perspective uh, because, yeah, I know people who've done this. <laughs> they got a job somewhere. They got that title and they were like, yep, I'm out. I'm over here. And I always think that's a risky proposition because if you leave a well-established company, uh, organization, whatever it is, and and you go somewhere that's like a startup or something that might pay you a little bit more but has a smaller overall budget, ultimately you're playing with fire. And I know somebody that happened to as well. He left a really established hospital uh, with a manager position to go for a, a senior director position and make a few bucks more. And less than a year later, they were eliminating the position because they just couldn't afford it anymore because they weren't as big That's of right. an outfit. And and, and I think That's you right. got to weigh those things. How much of that are you seeing in, in the work that you do? Well, I think there's a couple things that are happening, right? And And this is really some good information for our listeners out there who are thinking about leaving their job. You know, first and foremost is, there, there's a lot of studies that show us that there's almost no, no correlation between an increase in pay, often comes with a promotion, and long-term job satisfaction, right? So what we find is that pay and better titles tend to give us a bit of a boost in the short term. But over the long term, you don't get more satisfaction. And even as places like Gallup look at the overall engagement level by job level, there's really no differences. And so Chasing titles and pay over time isn't necessarily going to make you more satisfied at your job. The second thing we're seeing, and, and I, I don't think talent realizes this, is, is that transitions take energy. Every time you move, you have to build a new social network. You mm-hmm. have to learn new ways of working. You have to meet new people. You have to learn a new system. And what happens is all your creative energy at that point is going to the transition and not to your craft. So the more you move, the less you're actually probably getting better at the thing that you're supposed to be great at. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I look at all these moves and I think we underestimate the long-term impact of a lot of transitions. And rarely have I talked to talent that will tell me, Hey, leaving that well-established company or the place where I was credible and respected actually allowed me to gain what I was hoping to gain. Often they end up in what I call these wrong fit experiences. These places where the way that they like to work doesn't really match up with the expectations the company has. And over time they end up feeling like they're slogging through mud. They can't find the new secret decoder ring of success and it erodes their competence, their confidence. They end up working harder and they start to even many times yard sale their life outside of work. Um, because of the stress that they're under. Listen, I, I, I you know, you're the pro at this, but uh, I, that was always <laughs> my observation, right? I always yeah. thought the same exact thing. I thought, you know, if I have to find where the new watercolor is, make new friends, what if I don't like the people here? What if I don't like the place? What if I can't park in the same place? What, whatever the case was. You know, I worked in a radio studio in New York City for a long time, and then they sold it and they moved to some new digs, and and I, I hated that transition. And it was the same people. <laughs> I just hated the That's transition. Right. And I think so many people get so used to things. And, you know, I, I'm with you. If, if you could, you know, if you're not making that much more, the transition is really not appealing. So it's kind of like, you know, what are you talking, five, ten grand? 
maybe not, maybe 15, 20, 30, maybe then might be worth it or more. But it, it uh, I think that's something that you realize when you're more mid-career or, you know, 40s, 50s, maybe late 30s. Uh, but I think when you're younger, you're on that career climb and you're like, no, 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 I need to make more money. I need to do this. And, and honestly, I think because you're less settled, uh, presumably speaking, at that age, that you're able to, to kind of take that risk and, and make that's that right. plunge. So it seems to make sense. Now, I find that the statistic you just mentioned that's in that Wall Street Journal article, 29% mm-hmm. of people quit their jobs within a month after getting their first promotion. I think that's remarkable. And uh, I'm wondering, um, what's your observation on what organizations, enterprises are doing to kind of curtail that so that it's not nearly 30% of the people that they're promoting that they're losing? Yeah, I would say, Rich, I'll start with this. I don't even think that's the scariest statistic. You know, there's statistics out there that you're seeing that recently in a LinkedIn piece of research, 70% of Gen Z plan to leave their job in 2023. You're seeing statistics that new joiners, you just left your last company, you're joining a new company. One out of three are leaving that new company within 90 days. And so I guess my answer to your question is companies are just not doing enough, not nearly enough. Right. It used to be. And remember these days, we both probably grew up in these days where you take a job, companies bring you in, they do some onboarding orientation, and then they would sit in your seat and they were pretty self-assured that you were going to stay put. And now we just don't have this. Everybody's infinitely browsing. You get on social media, you get on the Internet, you can see someone with your same skill set, your same background, your same job, and it looks a lot better. And so you know, we have our heads up and companies need to realize that the cycles are re-recruiting, they're shorter. You know, you need to re-recruit your talent every single day. You need to remind them about why the world's better with your company in it. You need to be able to tell them how your company makes money and how their job fits into that. You need to tell them how we work, how we collaborate, solve problems, manage conflicts so they understand the system they're in. And then you have to remind them of the promise that you're making to them in return for their service, their energy, and their time. And I'm just watching. I think it's all kind of post-pandemics. You know, we've been under a lot of stress. We've been under a lot of strain. We've seen some retraction in the, in the economy. And so I think our leaders are, are really just, they have their heads down trying to survive themselves. You'd be surprised at the stats that you see in terms of burnout in managers. But because of that, we're not really paying attention to our talent quite as well. And we don't see that their commitment is wavering. And you know, as well as I do, the cost of a person leaving your company, it can be up to 200% of their annual salary, not Mm -hmm. to mention all the time that passes until you feel that job again. So I think in general, we've got to put more time in, we've got to train up our talent better, we've got to provide them connection, and, you know, mentors and really good managers. And I think we start focusing a little bit more on their experience, you're going to see less movement. I mean, in the end, right, we all want to belong. We all want to be a part of something. It's, you know, been a part of the way humans have survived since the beginning of time. And so we're really searching for more meaning and more belonging. And I just think every time we move to a new company, we're just not finding more of it. And that says there's, there's something larger afoot. That means it's a wrong fit. Folks, we're on with Dr. Yeah. Andre Martin. <laughs> He's a top executive coach, and he was the chief talent officer at Google, Nike, Target, and Mars. And he's the author of the book, Wrong Fit, Right Fit, 
why how we work matters more than ever. And that's something I've always believed in. Uh, what we do and being feeling good about what you do is incredibly important. So we're going to talk more about the book when we come back with Dr. Andre Martin. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So there's a Walmart in Atlanta, Georgia, that's now going to open police workspaces inside the Atlanta Walmart store because of the shoplifting epidemic. Talk about a wrong fit, right? Just imagine, like, I didn't sign up to work inside Walmart. Poor cops. Uh, But that's where the uh, the crime happens to be. And I want to get back to our guest. Dr. Andre Martin, he is the founder and operating advisor, top executive coach uh, with Wrong Fit, Right Fit. And he's written a book by the same name. And he was the chief talent officer of Google and Nike and Target and Mars. And this book is interesting. Again, Wrong Fit, Right Fit, Why How We Work Matters More Than Ever. Dr. Andre Martin, tell us about the book. Why'd you write it? Yeah, I, you know, I wrote the book because there was a, a single statistic. I've been 20 years in, in, in corporate America, and Gallup has estimated that $7.9 trillion of lost productivity exists in our companies right now globally due to disengagement, due to employees not feeling valued or seen or like they can do their best work every day. And you know what? I went into writing the book thinking it's got to be about culture. There's got to be good cultures and toxic cultures. And the process for the book is actually interviewed over 100 leaders from around the world, all different levels, all different um, types of jobs. And what really started to come out is, you know what? There's not one way to run a company. I've been in some of the biggest, most revered companies in the world. And in all those companies, about 60 or so percent of the people there, they're content. They're happy. Many are even thriving. But for 40% of them, it was like they were slogging through the mud or a way I like to talk about it is it felt like they were riding with their non-dominant hand every single day. It was hard. They were stressed. They were frustrated. It didn't feel successful. They were watching everyone else be a success except for them. And really what it started to boil down to is there's many different ways that companies like to work. There's infinite ways to solve problems, manage conflicts, set strategy, prioritize, collaborate, give feedback, develop people. And if the way the company works doesn't align to your preferences, you get in a wrong fit experience. And when you get in that type of experience, work gets really hard. It's harder than it should be. And so the book's really aimed at helping talent to understand a little bit more about who they are, how they work, what they're looking for out of the job, what they're solving for right now in life, and then helping them to go into an interview process to look a little bit deeper at the companies they're getting ready to join. Because that stat for me, one out of three new joiners 
leave within 90 days. 52% of new joiners are still looking for another job after six months. That tells me that there's just some mismatch of expectations. Yeah. And, and, you know, I I think that's so important and and something I just, I learned by happenstance uh, early in my career that it's really about fit, right? There's certain things that look great on paper. And, you know, if you have a good opinion of yourself, you could look at a million job descriptions and go, Oh, I could do that. Oh, I could do that. I could do that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, but then you go and you're like, Oh man, this sucks. Or, you know, Oh, I could do that. And then you realize (laughs) later, Oh, it sucks. Or maybe it doesn't suck. It's just, you you suck at it because it just wasn't for you. And you realize, man, That's this, right. uh, you know, this is hard for me. So some of it you have to kind of like scrape your knee. But I think a large part of it is uh, is really under what you're talking about. And I think, at least in my experience, there was always a lot of pushback, I feel, against that type of thinking, corporate culture, focusing on people that match the culture. Uh, I was always big on that. And I was a manager for a while. And yeah. I thought, you've got to fit in. And if you fit in, you could be part of the team. and We can do this buy into, you know, our core values and whatnot. But uh, I think there are still some um, executives and companies and even larger corporations that don't put enough emphasis on that. And and they end up with this revolving door of people. And ultimately, right. the end user, the consumer that uses this product or service that ends up paying the price. Uh, Richard, exactly right. I mean, $7.9 trillion of lost productivity. Imagine what we could do with that amount of money to do good in the world, to improve the economy, to just improve the lives of everybody. And so I, you know, I take that number very seriously. And, and there's a few things going on, right? When you look at the company angle, you know, companies have become brand marketing campaigns, right? If you go to anyone's career site out there, they paint the picture of just how wonderful this company is. Every company looks perfect. Yeah, best place it's ever. the best place to work in the world. But then what's happening to talent when we've gotten these interviews is there's sort of three versions of a company. There's the company on the career site that you get recruited into that just looks like ball hall. It looks like the best place on earth. And then there's the company in the first day, and they show you the best version of the real company. You meet the best leaders. You see the product. You get to know mm-hmm. the impact it has with the most satisfied customers. And then you go to the place you're going to spend the rest of your days. And that's when and it goes it, downhill, right? Do- Dr. Martin, and that's I don't when it goes downhill. You. But I want to make sure we have time to plug your website. Let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book. You got it. So the the book's on pre-sale right now, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It'll be released September 12th. My website, you can find more information about the book. The idea is www.wrongfitrightfit.com. You got it. Folks, Dr. Andre Martin, thank you, sir, for being with us. There is more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. America, welcome back. And I want to switch gears in our conversation and uh, bring in our guest, Doug Stroop. He's a filmmaker for Make It Clear Studios, and he produced a film called Trafficked. And I'm really interested in learning about it. Plus, we're going to get into uh, a little bit about his personal story uh, with a cycling accident, and we're going to do that in the next segment. Uh, But Doug Stroop, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you so much, Rich. It's wonderful for me to be here tonight. Likewise, I appreciate it. Thanks for staying up late yeah. with us. 
I want to talk <laughs> sure. about your your film Trafficked. Um, I'm, mm. You've produced different things, but I, I want to know um, what was the impetus to produce uh, this this particular film. Well, at, at Make It Clear Studio, we're not afraid to tackle the tough topics, and we've done them on bullying and lying and cheating, and then you know we've done one on trafficking and we're doing them on teen suicide and I mean, on and on. There's just abortion. I mean, these big, big topics. Uh, but the one, you know, trafficking is taking place right up under our noses all over the country and around the world. And most people don't even realize it. And so we wanted to shoot a film that would raise awareness of that kind of give you some things to look for in your surroundings and to educate the viewers on here's here's some things that you can be a part of you can you know uh know what's going on in your surroundings and be able to look for those things if you see something that doesn't look right or doesn't feel right you need to you need to talk about it you need to say something uh, because in doing so you could actually rescue you know a child out of that nightmare of trafficking or maybe even keep one from getting trafficked in the first place, right? Because you you're more aware of your surroundings or whatnot. So uh, it's a it's a horrible evil, and so we just want to do our part to to help, you know, in in that way. And film is a huge way, as you know, I'm sure you're. I mean, you can reach masses of people through film uh, to get a powerful message out there. So we we love making a difference in people's sure. lives through film. Yeah. Now, so tell us about uh, trafficked. Uh, obviously, uh, the the the, Im- the import is clear. I mean, just look at the news, and there's news every day about you know yesterday mm. Cuba arrested 17 people for trafficking young men to fight for Russia in Ukraine. Um, today, mm. members of Congress were confronting the Department of Justice on whether the the first son violated sex trafficking laws. So th- th- it's always yeah. in the news. And yeah, and, and it's important. But tell us about the actual uh, the gist of the film. <laughs> sure. Excuse me. So in the film, we have a young girl. Her name is Anna Davis, and she had been living that nightmare of being trafficked uh, for a long time. And we, we go into this into the backstory of how she got trafficked, how she got enticed. And it was through a fake a social media profile. There's many, many different ways that the traffickers can entice these young girls and boys in, into that. She got, um, she thought it was a young boy that really liked her and wanted to date her, you know, wanted to see her, whatever. And so she fell for that. And when she ended up agreeing to meet him somewhere, well, it wasn't him. It was, she got kidnapped and she got taken into trafficking, just totally unaware of any of that. And so in our film, we have her uh, on a court in a, in a courtroom after she had been rescued, and we go through and we show how she got rescued by somebody being aware of their surroundings, and they saw something that didn't look right, and they t- did something about it, and so they were able to help rescue her in the film, and then here we have her in a courtroom in the witness stand, and she's reliving her story in front of her trafficker. Uh, to see if there's enough evidence against him to actually put him in jail. And so that's kind of the impetus as we go through the film. That's the story that it tells, and it's very powerful. So, you know, there's a jury, the whole thing in the courtroom setting and all of that. So we have the defense attorney, prosecuting attorney and all that. So it's uh, it's very powerful, and we 
we're glad to be playing a part, you know, in making a difference in that area. When you're putting a film like this together, what is the, um, where do you draw the inspiration? Wow. <laughs> For me, it's just in my heart, I want to make a difference in other people's lives. I mean, we're a faith-based film company, and so there's great inspiration there in, you know, having the, the foundation of faith in Christ, right, in what we do in all of our films. But for me, there's such a there's just a great inspiration in my heart because I want to make a difference in other people's lives. I like like we did one on bullying, right? And so I want to mm -hmm. show bullying leads many times to suicide. And I, I actually have a, a young girl that was in our youth group at church, and I wrote that that one on bullying. I wrote loosely because of her story and how she got bullied to the point of committing suicide. She actually did go through with it, and and so I want to say, hey, this is not the answer in that, you know, that's right. not in. And then teen suicide, we're doing one next on teen suicide. I just wrote that one and we're working on that one now. And so I want to be able to say, you know what, that's not the answer. I mean, in our faith based world here of the Christian films that we're producing, I mean, Jesus is the answer, right? The gospel is the answer. Sure. And so, you know, all of that, that's not it, right? There is hope. Uh, and there are answers out there, and you can find that in Christ and in the Word of God. And so that's really where I draw my inspiration in, in writing these and, and in producing and directing the films that we produce. Everybody, we're on with Doug Stroop. He's a filmmaker with Make It Clear Studio, and we're discussing his film Trafficked. And I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about uh, his personal journey and uh, about a particular accident that he had. And we're going to do that straight ahead, plus your calls at the top of the hour, we got open phones. We'll be doing some calls as well in uh, the subsequent segment. So I'll give you the phone number. It's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. If you want to speak with Doug Stroop about uh, trafficking, about the film, and about uh, his personal story, once you hear it, feel free to give us a call. Don't go anywhere. We're on with Doug Stroop. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. We're on with Doug Stroop. He's a filmmaker, uh, the head of Make It Clear Studio, produced a film called Traffic, Dad, as well as other um, productions he has under the belt. And Doug Stroop has a real-life Lazarus story of his own where his career nearly ended. Uh, tell, us, tell, us, uh, tell us the story. I'm sure I'll be glad to. And let me just say, I'm so thankful for Samaritan Ministries to help me through all of this, making sure bills get paid. Because as you understand and realize, when you have a traumatic brain injury like I had, um, you don't know who you are, where you are, what's going on. Yeah. And it takes the brain a long time to heal. 
And so I literally was out of work for over two and a half years, almost three years. I couldn't drive, couldn't anything. What happened was um, I was a cyclist. Uh, I've always taken care of my body as the temple of the Lord. I, I just I want to take good care of myself. And so I run, cycle, jog, walk, all those things, exercise to do that. Well, I was uh, doing a century ride. Yeah, that's 100 miles all at one time. And, um, Rich, I had gotten to 102 miles. Actually, the length from the start to the finish was 103 total. And I had just crossed uh, 102. I was almost to the finish line. And something happened. My, my my bike ran off the side of the road. My rear tire buried down in some mud because it had been raining on us a, you know, a lot off and on during the day. Anyway, I went, ended up trying to get back on the um, the road at about 20 miles an hour. And I ended up going across into the traffic. My bike went across two lanes of traffic. My body went over the handlebars. And I landed out there in the middle of that traffic. I remember two thoughts that went through my mind, Rich, as I went flying over the handlebars. The first one was, this is going to hurt really bad. (laughs) And the second Mm -hmm. one was, I don't want to face plant, right? So I tried to give it the old athletic roll, and I thought maybe I could just tumble out of it on the other end. But what happened was when I ended up hitting the pavement, I hit the back of my head. And yes, I was wearing a helmet and all the gear. But when I hit, I actually drove the dial of my helmet into the base of my skull with such wow. impact that it gave me a traumatic brain injury. Uh, my brain stem was messed up. I, of course, I messed up my shoulders and a lot of other my neck and my back and my spine and all kinds of things. But the biggest uh, result of that, you know, was the traumatic brain injury. And so because of that, I was, you know, in and out of the hospital, a lot of specialists, all those things for, uh, about the first eight months, I couldn't walk and talk. I just had to learn how to do those things over again. But I mean, I, I could have easily just gotten run over because I literally went right out in the middle of two lanes of traffic. And, I don't remember how I got from that point because I blacked out when my when I hit my head, but I don't remember how I got off to the side of the road. But when I woke up a little bit later, I was on the side of the road. Wow. My cycling buddy, who was just inches behind me, who you know saw it all happen, he said he'd never seen anybody crawl that fast. And Rich, I'm I, I, to this day, I have this question. I mean, it's like God's angels just picked me up and carried me off. But he said I literally crawled really fast. How do you crawl when you're blacked out in the middle of the road? But I did, apparently. And, you know, that whole fight or flight kind of thing. And I, God wasn't done with me. And so I remember waking up on the side of the road. And, of course, I was broke down. My bike was all beat up. But after, like I said, over two and a half, almost three years of just having to learn how to do things again. I'm so thankful to be on this side of it. Obviously, now that was in 2015. So here I am eight years later. Um, and and pretty much I've come back. I'm, I'm not I've never been back to 100% uh, like I was prior to the accident. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I still I do have some new limitations because of the injury to the brain and the brain stem and some things that I've just had to learn within and like a new normal for me. And, and I'm OK with that because I'm I'm very thankful 
again, to have come through the brain injury. Right. It's a very dark place to be. Uh, I got real depressed. I'll just be honest during that time because I literally thought God's done with me. Like, not that he's not able to use me. He can use a rock for crying out loud if he, sure. if he wanted to, but that I was not able to be used because of my brain injury and the condition. And I just, I just thought, okay, I'm done. This, this is it. My life's over. And so I'm thankful that it wasn't right. And so he's brought me through that uh, whole recovery time. And now uh, for the last few years, you know, I've been able to be a filmmaker and actor, all the things that I've been able to do post injury. And I'm just so, so thankful. Uh, you know, Doug's true. That. Uh, I'm also grateful. Uh, I, I w- went through this with my dad who had a, uh, a traumatic brain injury. So uh, kudos to you and thank God that he brought you through it because uh, it is very, it's very traumatic, right? Traumatic brain injuries are no joke. I don't think enough people really, uh, I know I didn't know. I know when I learned about that, you know, something like 3 million people a year sustain traumatic brain injuries. And there's, you know, about five and a half million people all over the country that are living with one. And, you know, something you said that you didn't get back to 100%. This happened to my dad in his 70s. And it was, it was very rough. And everything you're saying, you know, for anybody who's listening and thinking, oh, you didn't know how to walk and talk. No, he didn't. He didn't know how to walk. He didn't know how to talk. At least I can tell you my dad didn't. Uh, he didn't know how to tie his shoe. He didn't know how to sit in a car. Uh, there, was, there was a million things. He, and he also had uh, damage to a part of the brain that affected um, recent memory. And he, he was stuck in 1974. And I was born in 78. So he remembered all of my siblings except for me. And it was, it was a, just a fascinating time uh, until the brain heals and, and bits and pieces come back. And what, what was uh, the hardest part uh, for you? Not being able, yeah, not being able to function, right? As men, right, we want to be productive, mm-hmm. and I and there, you know, we want to accomplish things today. We want to feel like we've 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 tackled something and we've conquered it. You know what I mean? As a, as a man, and we want to be productive each and every day. And for me, that was really what led me into my depression that I experienced during the recovery time. And again, it was almost three years of just not being able to be productive, that was the hardest part for me. And and I was, wasn't ready to just, you know, sit back and, and fade away, right? Never accomplish anything again. Of course. But I, I felt like I was lost down in this deep, dark well, you know, 500 feet below the Earth's surface. And, you know, some days I felt like I'm looking way up there and all I could see was just this little tiny pinpoint of light, but I would never be able to get there. You know, and that's what was going through my mind. And, and that was, oh, it was so hard, so hard just being in that deep darkness of, of, you know, that depression state that I was in thinking that life was done for me. Folks, very this is, uh, we're listening yeah. to the uh, very harrowing story, uh, but very successful story of Doug Stroop, who made it through a traumatic brain injury. He's a filmmaker. Make It Clear Studios is his company and um, producer of the film Trafficked. And uh, we're going to come up and wrap up with him momentarily. If you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 
America, welcome back. Doug Stroop is a Christian filmmaker with Make It Clear Studios, and he uh, survived a cycling accident that left him with a traumatic brain injury. These are life-changing injuries where you can forget how to say certain words. You go through something called aphasia where the words at the tip of your tongue and you never get it. And it takes forever for the brain to create new pathways to relearn things like walking, talking, tying your shoes. Uh, It's just a remarkable process. And I went through it with my dad. And uh, during the time it happened to my dad, it also happened to a family friend of ours on a motorcycle. And, and, and it was interesting. He was 24. My dad was 77 or 73. And, and the, the similarities were just so uh, glaring. You know, it was like, wow, irrespective of age, you know, when you have pressure on your brain and what they call a subdural hematoma, these things cause damage. And the damage can sometimes be permanent or it could take a long time for the brain to heal. Doug Stroop, in the moment that we have left remaining, I want you to uh, just let everybody know, what, what's your word of encouragement for people that are dealing with uh, either a serious concussion or a, or a TBI? You know what? My word of encouragement would be that there is hope. There is hope. I know that when they go through that time, they're probably feeling hopeless like I was. Maybe they're suffering through depression, thinking that they'll never come through this, never be able to function, you know, normally. Uh, Normal is different after you have a traumatic brain injury. As you mentioned, your brain has to relearn. It has to build those connections and the communication that was broken down. In my experience, like signals were being sent, and yet it was like speaking two different languages. They weren't right. being received. Like, hey, his, he needs more oxygen to his brain. They're going, what? I can't understand what you're saying. I mean, it just mm-hmm. they, so there, those things can heal. And, yeah. and yes, there is Amen hope. And for me, that hope is found in Christ and in the gospel and in the word of God. So Outstanding. Yeah. Uh, Doug, yeah. with the 30 seconds remaining, or 10 seconds now, what's the website where people can learn more about your work? MakeItClearStudio.com, MakeItClearStudio.com. We would love to be in contact with you. Thank you, Doug Stroop. I appreciate it. Godspeed to you, sir. And folks, Open Phone America starts right now, 833-4-VALDEZ. Give me a call. It's Friday night. We're going to have some fun. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america 
And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. It's Friday night, hour number three. We like to call this Open Phone America. Get at me at Rich Valdez on the social media if you want to, or give me a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. Now, listen, this is your personal invitation. If you've never called the show, it's first-time caller, I'm looking forward to speaking with you. We got a lot of things on the table already, and I'm happy to talk about with with you, with whatever, uh, about whatever you want to talk about, because, um, that's how we do here. And a number of things we talked about tonight, we, uh, we talked about, uh, trafficking. We've talked about traumatic brain injuries. We've talked about the right fit and the wrong fit in the workplace. And we talked about the issues facing America, Joe Biden's age, Perry Johnson who's running for president and so much more. And, uh, of course, whatever topics you bring to the table will be added to the, the discussion. But something I want to discuss now <clears throat> is the IRS. So the IRS is cracking down on 1,600 millionaires over back taxes. And it's easy to not pay your taxes, right? I mean, even if you get a bill and then you forget to pay, and I've seen it happen. So the IRS is launching an initiative to crack down on these 1,600 millionaires and 75 large businesses that it says owes hundreds of millions of dollars in back taxes. Now, I'm wondering, uh, the 75 companies that they're going after, are those the 20 shell companies that uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden used to hide their money? Hmm, because I know they're into that whole tax evasion thing. Well, the program takes advantage of uh, additional funding from the IRS that was included in the Inflation Reduction Act which adds funding to hire and replace 87,000 new IRS employees. Now, we learned when this happened that some of these employees would be armed. And then later on, we learned that they shot each other about a month ago, right? Two or three weeks ago. And you could check, uh, Mr. Hinton, let me know what you find. Uh, if it was a month ago, two weeks ago, but they had an unfortunate uh, shooting incident with, um, I'm going to say, probably less than trained I armed IRS agents. So uh, good job, Joel Baboso Biden. But the audit rates on people making less than $400,000 a year will not change. You know, I find it fascinating <clears throat> that the that the the magic number, right? You know, they always talk about the 1%, the 1%, the billionaires, the, Bernie said, the billionaires, the billionaires, right? And But when it comes down to policy, they always pick... $400,000 per year. And it makes me wonder. I mean, there's plenty of construction workers and contractors and plumbers that, that are making that kind of money. Lawyers, doctors. These are not extraordinarily wealthy people. I mean, yeah, 400 k is a good amount of money to make for sure. But this doesn't make you the rich. You know, to, to, to say you make 450 k a year, now you're, you're considered the 1%. And that's not the case. Why do they do that? Why do, it's Democrats that do that, right? Republicans have never done that. They've never said because they don't like to focus on the rich or whatever. People say, oh, tax breaks for the rich, tax breaks for the rich. No, the, listen, it, you shouldn't go after anybody punitively because they do well in life. Why should anybody have to pay more percentage in taxes just because they were more successful than somebody else? You should pay the same proportionate amount. You know, this is why I support a flat tax. 
uh, because if, let's say, the tax rate's 20%, then it's 20%. 20% on your dollar, 20% on my million. Same thing, right? God willing, I have a million. But that's the point. Anyway, uh, something the IRS commissioner, uh, Denny Werfel, said, the years of underfunding that predated the Inflation Reduction Act led to the lowest audit rate of wealthy filers in our history. All right. So he goes on to say that he's committed to reversing this trend, making sure that new funding will mean more effective compliance efforts on the wealthy. And again, 400K, does that make you wealthy? I mean, really, let me know what your thoughts are. I don't think it makes you wealthy. I don't think you're wealthy until you're making over a million. That's but that's my standard, you know. And again, even at a million, uh, I, yes, I think you're you're, you're well off. Four hundred k. It sounds like you work and you work hard and you do really really well. Anyway, he goes on to say that uh, middle uh, middle and low income filers will continue to see no change in historically low pre um, inflation reduction act audit rates for years to come. So this sounds like a very political statement, right? It seems like they're really couching their words to make it, uh, you know, listen, if you're poor, if you're middle class, you're middle income, whatever wording they want to use, um, clearly they want those people on their side and they want to pit everybody against anybody making more than 400K. And, and I've got to say, that's it's a stupid thing to do. It's not how you build a society or a country or any type of camaraderie. It's exactly how you drive a wedge in between the American people. Anyway, this uh, shift in enforcement is because of new artificial intelligence technology. The agency is going to be using groundbreaking uh, um, AI to discover patterns of tax avoidance, and it's going to be easier than they've ever done it before. So we're going to see what happens with the IRS, but it looks like the government wants to raise some money. The government wants to bring money in. And the only way they know how to do it is to raise taxes. Well, they did that. They have the Inflation Reduction Act. So now they're going to use that to try and bring more money in. And how do they do it? By extorting you. Bottom line, more taxes, more enforcement of taxes. Uh, not, not a happy report, but that's the report that we've got. So, folks, we're going to come to your calls momentarily. I'm going to give you a moment to uh, get your thoughts together and take this quick pause. We've got calls from Greenville, Mississippi. Mississippi. I can't talk on Friday nights. Greenville, Mississippi. Or is that Missouri? Excuse me. Uh, Ron in Coleman, Alabama. And more callers as we speak. Um, Montana. No, that's Missouri. And the other one was Mississippi. Okay, got it. Anyway. We're going to get to your calls momentarily. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Congratulations on just an amazing show. 
I know you've worked so hard in the industry and nobody deserves it more than you do. So I'm happy to see you really succeeding here. It's awesome. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're going to get to your calls. Open phone, America. A long tradition here on this program, and uh, it's really one of my, the highlights of my day is getting to talk to people all over the country. Boise, Idaho. Uh, where else here? M- Moorhead City. Where is that, Moorhead City? North Carolina? Love Carolina. Coleman, Alabama. Greenville. Is that Missouri or Mississippi? Mississippi. Look at that. Let's go there. Let's go to Betty in Greenville, Mississippi, WNIX. Betty, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Well, hello, Rich. Hi. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well, thank God. It's Friday. I'm on the phone with you. How bad could it be? Hey, you're right there. (laughs) (laughs) You're right there. At least we're up and and speaking. Thank God. Some people are not as fortunate as we are tonight. Uh, unfortunately, um, look, I don't want y'all to think this is a, a, a thing from the twilight zone or something because it's not okay. This is actually happening. It's actually going on. It's, it's traumatizing. Most citizens don't even know about it. They don't realize it, but the ones that do are not doing nothing to stop it. They're not doing nothing to stop the ones well, that are actually what's going on. What are we talking about? Okay. Betty? Well, we're talking about a, a, a ring of high-influential people, okay, that are running a, 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 a child sex trafficking ring, okay? Yeah. They're Where is this happening? High-influential people in the state of Missouri. Yeah, I, it doesn't surprise me, Betty. You know, I, I hear a lot about these things, and they, they're constantly in the news. And... There was a movie that came out not too long ago that everybody was talking about. Big, big movie. I finally saw it. It was a very good movie, and that's what it was about. <clears throat> All sorts of people have these different uh, fetishes, and, and when it comes to people that are interested in in child sex, there's they don't look any particular way. You know, the people that you walk around, and if you're as critical as I am, you might run around and go, that kid looks like a school shooter. <laughs> That guy looks like a pedophile. You know, and I do those things in, in, in bad taste, and forgive me for doing it. But um, I think in real life, you really don't know. And if you ever watched that show with Chris Hansen, To Catch a Predator, um, or, yeah, in Dateline, I think before that, <clears throat> the um, the profile, there is no profile. I mean, I'm sure there might be one, but they all, they're from all walks of life. And, and it, it's fascinating to see, you know, what people are interested in. And when they get caught, it's like, wow, I didn't see that coming, right? So, you know, when you say there's influential people involved, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's people from every walk of life, law enforcement, military, the the clergy, you name it, people that you thought were upstanding citizens and aren't. It doesn't mean that everybody, obviously, in those groups are. But these things are definitely happening, and it's uh, incredibly unfortunate. And, you know, what? like we talked about with our guest, there's a whole lot of it going on. I mean, trafficking is a is a serious, serious business and a very busy one at that. 
right? I mean, we, we see so much of it. And uh, I was looking at these stats before when we were talking with uh, Doug Stroop about trafficking. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I was eating cashews, and uh, they definitely went down the wrong windpipe there. But there are tons of people, I mean, tons of stories every day where you see this trafficking. I mean, there's all sorts of trafficking, little kids, women, um, you name it. There's a market for it. And look no further than what we saw with Jeffrey Epstein to really see what's going on. And it's no surprise to me that we find out about all sorts of things except who the clients of Jeffrey Epstein were or who killed Jeffrey Epstein when he was in like protective custody in a prison and hung himself off of a bottom bunk. I mean, it's just it's absolutely astounding the things that happen. So uh, I'm with you. I, I hear you loud and clear, Betty. And I appreciate the call from Greenville, Mississippi, WNIX. Big shout out to you. And uh, let us continue. <clears throat> Where do we go? We go to Paul, Boise, Idaho, KBOI. Great station. Paul, welcome. Welcome. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I, I think you said this is open, open line right now. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Yeah, I just. I'd kind of like to bring up the topic, if you haven't already had it this evening, and that's that's the influx of illegal aliens that are are coming from from the state of Texas across the the border, if you want to call it a border, and they're they're being shipped up all to all different areas around the country, but most notably. It's causing quite a problem with New Yorkers. Sure. It, it, it looks to me like they have no place to go. They're, they're being dropped off there, but all the all the room at the inn is taken. And uh, it, it, it's not just it, 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 it's creating more problems than you guys are able to handle. For sure. Now, listen, Paul. I think you're right. Uh, there, there's there's a, an issue of limited space and all of that, but I think that's the plan, right? The plan is to overwhelm the system. And it, sadly, it's one of those things that, you know, I think initially, nobody wants to think that our plan or, or the, the Democrats' plan or the enemy of our country or whomever you want to point the finger at, nobody wants to believe that that's the plan to, to break a system, to overwhelm uh, a once great city, to just put so many people in one place. But that's what's happening. And I think, you know, somebody might have thought this was a good plan at some point, but then doesn't realize it's not that good of a plan. But, Joe, I don't know if you watch The View, right? And Anna Navarro, she's uh, was a CNN commentator. She was the CNN Republican, right? <laughs> and she's not much of a Republican. Uh, but uh, Anna Navarro, she's on The View today, and um, she's talking about how illegal aliens in New York City need to be sent somewhere else. Listen to this. Frankly, you know, I think we need to find, and, and we've dealt with this before. I, I lived in, uh, in Miami. I was a migrant, an immigrant in Miami in the 80s. You'll remember when we had the Marielle boat lift. Yes. 125,000 Cubans yeah. came in a matter of six months. It puts tremendous stress on, on, on a city, on a community, on the social services. 
they need to be resettled elsewhere. That, they, right? need they need to be out. We're this spread, massive yeah. country. Well, and it's only going to get worse with global warming and climate change because people can't live in certain parts of this world. And that is the plan, right? They need to be resettled elsewhere. So you get these idiots uh, that say, you know what? What I want to do is I'm going to make this city a sanctuary city, right? And then, oh, we're a sanctuary state. And then you get mayors like Eric Adams saying, oh, we, we can't anymore. It's going to destroy this city. Or governors like Phil Murphy saying, you know, we've, we've done it enough. And so Mr. Sanctuary State and Mr. Sanctuary City now don't want anybody. And where do they want to send them? To the people that never agreed to have them in the beginning. The people that didn't say that they were a uh, sanctuary city or sanctuary state. And then uh, now they're going to just force people. Oh, we ran out of room. Now it's your turn. Yeah, do your fair share. No, it's not our fair share. Our fair share is close the back door. Stop letting everybody in the house. You can't do it. Yeah, basta, punto, final, right? Period, the end. There's really nothing else to discuss. That's exactly where we, we, where we are and how we need to address it. But lamentably, this is what's happening. And uh, you, you just can't help but realize this is a very tough situation, Paul. Yeah, what I, what I see missing, <clears throat> excuse me, what I see missing is a consortium of well-to-do Democrats telling Joe Enough is enough. The game is over. Your idea it was a bomb. And we can't we can't continue this anymore. Right. But he has to hear it from enough Democrats to close the door. Because he's not gonna listen. He will not listen to the Republicans. I don't think he's gonna listen to anybody, Paul. I think uh, in reality, I think Biden's going to do what he wants to do. He's not doing this out of the goodness of his heart. He's doing this with a very specific intention, whether he's being paid off by the cartels, being paid off by somebody. Uh, he's not doing it because he thinks it's a good thing. And if he is, it's a good thing politically, because now you're, you can when you have people everywhere, you have more people and you can get more money and you can you know, uh, affect um, congressional seats and redistricting and all of those things based on where people land. So it's going to be an interesting thing to watch, and hopefully we can, can curtail it and contain it. Paul, thank you for the call. KBOI, everybody, we're coming right back with that story on the IRS. Don't go anyway, plus your calls. an open line if somebody wants to join feel free do it now rather than at five minutes to one when we wrap up and then i, I feel bad leaving people on hold uh but i want to just cover this thing i mentioned it a moment ago about the irs agents and there are eighty-seven thousand new agents some of which are going to be armed they're going to go after 1600 millionaires uh but 
their rule for millionaires is $400,000. Last I checked, $400,000 is not even a half a millionaire. But that's the standard that the Biden administration's put in place. So if you make 400K plus a dollar, um, you can potentially be targeted by these people if you're a delinquent on your taxes, armed IRS agents. Now, there was a video that surfaced when this idea came about. And this video showed very poorly equipped people um, parading and posing as law enforcement officers with guns and bulletproof vests and they were out of shape and they were sloppy and they looked poorly trained. And a lot of people thought it was a parody. Uh, Well, lamentably, an IRS uh, special agent was killed during a training uh, at a Phoenix firing range. And this happened three weeks ago. But it's, it's really sad to think that they're so desperate to get your money <laughs> that, that they're going they're going to hire trained, uh, not trained or poorly trained uh, law enforcement officers. And again, if you're listening right now and you are a, um, you know, gun toting IRS agent, give me a call, you know, set me straight. I'd love to, to hear your side of the story. But there's a report from Fox 10 in Phoenix uh, the night that this happened about three weeks ago. And I want you to listen to this. A special agent with the IRS is dead, and we are told another agent accidentally shot that person during a training exercise. It happened at the Federal Correctional Institution's Phoenix firing range. Fox 10's Stephanie Bennett joins us live with more on what happened. Steph? Good evening, John and Christina. Yeah, we have not yet uh, found out the names of those agents, the one who died and the other one involved. They have not released that information just yet, but they do say no other injuries were reported. The FBI is investigating this case tonight. They said in a statement, quote, while the firing range is on Bureau of Prison grounds, an interagency agreement allows for other law enforcement agencies to use the facility for training purposes. Today, the IRS was at the range for a routine training. Now, the agent was taken from the prison to Honor Health Deer Valley Medical Center to be treated, but sadly the agent passed away shortly after arriving. Law enforcement, along with firefighters, lining the streets for the procession as the agent was then taken to the office of the medical examiner. Officials with the IRS tell Fox 10 that their special agents investigate criminal tax violations and other related financial crimes. Now, they say in order to carry out their daily duties, including search warrants and arrests, they must carry firearms and have annual trainings. Now, of course, guys, once the FBI wraps up their investigation, they're going to hand over any findings to the U.S. Attorney's Office for review. But for now, tonight here outside the prison gates here, it is pretty quiet here, but we're going to keep a track of this, this investigation as we get more information. And of course, since then, the um, special agent Patrick Bauer, 47 years old, he was identified as a uh, the uh, special agent that was shot during the training and uh, my condolences to his family. It's uh, it's horrible. It's horrible to hear that um, Bauer is survived by his wife and four children, 47 years old. That's just two years older than me. In addition to being a special agent, Bauer was a master sergeant retired in the Arizona Air National Guard. Uh, really unfortunate. And and just again, just goes to show you this is the length or the lengths that the Biden administration is going to to bring money in. They're calling this part of the Inflation Reduction Act, going after delinquent taxpayers. Now, listen, I'm not saying people who are delinquent on their tax bill should not have to pay. No, but I am saying the government should not come and point the gun at you. 
in order to get you to pay your bill, right? You sue somebody, you put them in collections, you do what everybody else does. You don't get to use the power and strong arm of the government to say, well, you haven't paid your taxes. You're, you know, this is not an American concept. The last time, I, the first time I heard about this, not this, but the idea that the government would use police power to come and get their tax money was a caller that called in one day when I was substituting on the Mark Levin show. And he was in one of the European countries. Um, I don't know if it was one of the Scandinavian states or whatnot, but something like that, Denmark, something like that. And he was explaining how he lives here, but his mom lived there and he goes often to visit his mom. And I was explaining that when he was on a trip to come back home to the United States, um, somebody in the airport got tackled by a SWAT team. And he said, the sad part is, it's not an uncommon occurrence. If you try to take a flight out of the country and you owe taxes, a SWAT team will SWAT you down. And I think that's crazy. But again, it was in America. It didn't happen in the United States, so it made some sense. But this is happening in the United States. And this is absolute insanity, in my opinion. Anyway, we're going to get to your calls. Uh, we've got calls from Ohio and North Carolina and Alabama and Indiana. Let us go to uh, Matt calling from the area of Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF. Go right ahead. Hello, Rich. How are you doing today? I'm doing Tonight. great. Thank God, brother. Very good, sir. Uh, well, what I want to say was I got my junkie radio to tune into your great program just in time Thank to you. hear about one. <laughs> You're welcome. Just in time to hear about one IRS agent shooting another. So I yeah. was telling Tom, I'm, I'm trying to adjust the tuner. And I said, what in the world? Now, what do you think the next thing Joe Biden's going to say, Rich? See, it's the guns fault. We got to get rid of guns. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I think you're, you're you're I would love for him to say that and start with the IRS agents. I don't think IRS agents should be armed. Now, again, there may be some instance where, you know, you may need uh, an IRS agent to, to be armed. But uh, something we were talking about during the break uh, offline was that there's something called the Federal Protective Service, and they're like all-purpose federal law enforcement uh, to do all sorts of things. You know, they, they can assist the, um, the, the cops in the federal courts. They can assist anybody they want. And this is what they do. They're, they're federal cops. And it just strikes me as odd that we wouldn't use something that we already have and we'd create this new armed division or add to this new armed division um, and, you know, I get it. If you're a special agent and you're out there doing an investigation into what might be a cartel, you may want to be armed. Uh, I can understand the rationale, but I can also see how you could just have this one central, you know, group of law enforcement officers. But that's a different debate for another day. The bottom line here is it's it's sad and really kind of unthinkable that we now have armed tax collectors. If that doesn't scare you and that you're paying for this through the Inflation Reduction Act, I don't know. I, I think we're seeing a reduction in humanity, not a reduction in inflation, Matt. Sir, we have a, inflation's out of control. My guns do nothing to anybody. Yeah, well put, brother. I appreciate the call. Folks, we're going to continue with your calls and more. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 
833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. Back to your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Sarah. Uh, she is in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, go right ahead. Hey, great show as always. And Thank I you. just want to tell you, I think you're right about the illegal immigration. I don't wonder if our adversaries are not recruiting people in various um, countries south of the border and saying, hey, come up to the U.S., there's jobs waiting or something to get them in. And to collapse our social services. I mean, you can't have this many destitute people and suddenly find them gainful employment, much less get them to contribute to the tax base. So I agree. But, you know, liberals, even the rational, nice, uh, polite liberals that you can talk to, they will never change their underlying philosophy. And one of those things is with regards to the border. And the dump them elsewhere attitude is so typical. They're so typical. You're right, Sarah. And, you know, years ago, I remember listening to uh, the great one, Mark Levin, uh, in the studio, and I was in the control room, and he was talking about uh, Frances Fox Pivens. Uh, I, I spoke about her and her husband, uh, Richard Clower, two professors, very liberal uh, communist professors. They're like avowed communists. And and they came up with this model that's now known as the Cloward-Piven model. And that was it. It was to overload a system to the point that it breaks so you could get your way. And I feel like this is totally the government implementing the Cloward Piven model. And if these people are uh, avowed communist sympathizers, then what would make me think that those utilizing the Cloward Piven model are not sympathetic, at least with them? Uh, because this is what they do. This is how government gets their will. They break the will of the people by breaking the system that's there to protect the people. We're seeing it with shoplifting. We're seeing it with crime overall. We're seeing it with drug use, right? Eight, nine, ten years ago, it was, we're going to do a needle exchange program, folks. Needle exchange. You know, this is because we want to keep everybody safe and clean, and they're not using clean needles. And everybody, hey, well, we don't want them to die. You know, we want the junkies to live. And again, I'm not suggesting that they should die. I am suggesting that the more the government puts money into facilitating this bad behavior and allowing it to happen, the more it's going to deteriorate and destroy the systems that we have in place. So, Sarah, I think you're 100% right. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Let us continue. Let us go to Jared Pleasantville, Pennsylvania, listening on KDKA. Go right ahead. Hello. Yeah, I was talking about the uh, IRS agents. What's on your mind? Oh, I think they need to go away as soon as possible. <laughs> I yeah, mean, if you. you watch any of their trading videos, it, it, it's a joke. You could tell those people have never held a gun in their life. They're constantly flagging the people in front of them. It, it's no wonder what one of them got shot. But we yeah. can't just sit around and wait for them to delete themselves, even though I think they'll do that slowly anyways. 
And I don't mean to be insensitive, Jared, but uh, I, I saw these videos. And again, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was fake. I thought it was a parody, but it was real. And you're right. No gun safety. Uh, it was it was very clear. And it's very clear why someone was was killed. And the question I have here is and I don't take anybody's death in vain in any way, but how much more before they're killing us? And that's the scary part. That is a very, very scary part. Anyway, I want to uh, thank you for your call, Jared. And I want to uh, continue. Let us go to Patty. Patty is on the line. Patty, where are you calling from? What city and state? Hi. St. George, Utah? St. George, Utah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in tonight. St. George is the closest. Yeah. And what did you want to say? I, well, I was just saying, hearing both of you, it's so strange. When I was around two and a half to three and a half, my mother was, um, she would leave, leave the house and pretend I was with her and leave me with my uncle and a group of psychopaths. And my uncle was in those states, so he, he was like the golden boy, he didn't look evil. Mm. But they were extremely evil, and I saw ex- extreme things. But I also, I, it's kind of weird, but I used to work in the White House, and I got caught in, um, I was going out to Andrews Air Force Base over with speeches. Right. And I got caught in the flash flood and got t- uh, ended up with encephalopathy in my brain from encephalitis. Oh, I got wow. in so much, so many sewage and toxic waste and everything else, but I'm totally and permanently disabled because of it from the time I was 28, and I'm old now, and I've had, uh, I'm not feeling too well right now, actually, because I had a cancer treatment, but uh, I've had double mastectomies, and I have leukemia. Oh, my God. And I'm working with Count from the White House, but I'm stuck at the same level, uh, pay-wise as I was 50 years ago. Wow. So you're, you're first of all, I, I apologize. And I'm so sorry that you're going through all of this stuff. But you're telling me that when you were younger, you were trafficked by your own family. Then you got a brain injury from being caught in a flash flood only to recover to be uh, caught up with cancer, leukemia, and, and have a double mastectomy. Yeah, that's 49. Wow. I mean, if, if you are not the poster child for resilience and for strength, I don't know who is, Patty. Kudos to you. That can't be easy. I don't know. It's, 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 well, the only thing was when I was, I had spiritual experiences when I was tiny. And uh, Jesus kind of kept me away from uh, at least my 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 sanity and not becoming evil or something else because of it. So your faith is what got you through it. Patty, it's a remarkable story. Godspeed to you. God bless you. I wish you much healing and 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 really the best and and keep up that great attitude because really that that's quite a story. I I've, I've never met anybody else who's been through that much and is able to um to you know, stay on top the way you are. God bless you, Patty. Coming right back with the rest of your calls. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, and I want to go to Ron in Cullman, Alabama, WBCF in Huntsville. Ron, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Yes, sir. Thanks for taking my call, Rich. Jesus is a great physician. And uh, I just wanted to mention about Fulton County in 2020 election where uh, before the count was finished, they uh, rushed out all the people there except three people and commenced to run in tens of thousands of ballots through the count in machine. And this was all caught on surveillance camera. Uh, I'm, I don't know if you've seen the video. I've or seen not. the video. I have seen the video. And again, I can't really decipher what's happening in the video. But to me, it looks like uh, they're counting ballots, counting ballots, counting ballots. And then all of a sudden they go and they go to these like movable file cabinets that are under these tables and they move those out. And again, I don't know the process, but I can tell you the video I saw, it looked weird. It looked uh, odd. It looked off. And I know that they brought it up and they've tried to use it as evidence. And uh, Mayor Giuliani was using it uh, in hearings that he did in state houses uh, across the country. And I remember it so well only because I he had a radio show at nine o'clock and my show was on during the day. But when he was busy defending Trump or doing these these hearings in different state houses, uh, they picked me to cover his show. So I totally remember when this was happening and, and he'd usually call in as a, as a guest and we would uh, talk about, you know, what he was covering that day in whichever state uh, house he was in in whichever state legislature. So, um, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I've seen it. I think a number of people have analyzed it. And we still haven't gotten to the bottom of things. And I doubt we ever will. I mean, we never figured out the, the funny business that happened in the um, Kennedy-Nixon election. Do you think we're going to learn what happened in 2020? Definitely not anytime soon. Folks, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I thank you all for your calls and for joining us tonight. I'm looking forward to being back with you on Monday. Make sure you check out the Best Of program on the weekend. And keep it locked on this station. There's more programming right now. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.